I think until, we're going to yeah. just stay living in the RV because yeah. there's no rental housing around here. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, there wasn't there wasn't any before, and the stuff that might have been there is now burned down. So. Welcome to Gimme Shelter, the California Housing Crisis Podcast. This is Matt Levin, data reporter with Cal Matters. I'm Liam Dillon with the LA Times. And this week, um, our tour of the housing crisis across California takes us to uh, the North Bay, uh, where there's just a devastating set of fires um, over the past couple of weeks. Um, there's a huge loss of life and loss of property and, and um, you know, a, a, a real hurt uh, for the housing crisis that they were already facing. And we're going to dig a little bit uh, deeper into that issue. And we were able to secure some time with the mayor of Santa Rosa, Chris Corsi, uh, who, despite the insanity around him, was able to spare 10, 10 15 minutes on um, what they're going to do to rebuild. And we also uh, hope to have a, uh, a resident who lost his um, home and, and, uh, and business in the fire and sort of what he plans to do now to, to rebuild as well. Um, but first, and it's tough to transition to something... Um, a little more lighthearted, um, but our ever popular segment, Liam, the avocado of the week. You can say it one more time. I know you want to. Avocado. Hey, that was close. I uh, I don't know if I want to work on it because I think this is my trademark now. It is. So I should just kind of keep it as it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we are going to talk about what looks to be a housing-loaded November 2018 ballot. What news? Did it break earlier today? It did on Monday. So we're, we're taping on Monday, and that's important to know, particularly for an interview with, with Mayor Corsi, because he was talking to us on Monday afternoon, um, and they have a city council meeting on Tuesday where they're going to decide a lot of the things or talk about a lot of the things that we, we discussed in the interview. What, what happened today? So um, there's a new potential ballot measure for 2018 that's pretty interesting. It comes from um, a community organizing group, uh, ACE, which is well-known across the state, uh, and then also a bunch of tenants' rights advocates. And then uh, Michael Weinstein, who's the head of the controversial uh, AIDS Healthcare Foundation in L.A., and what this does would allow uh, California cities to dramatically expand rent control by repealing the Costa-Hawkins law. And do you personally feel validated by this initiative in some way, Liam? Yes. And And why? Why? Well, I predicted that 2018 we might see a big fight over rent control, and it's heating up, man. You know, certainly if statewide voters get to weigh in, that's that's a big fight. And what do you think are the— motivations behind this particular initiative. So it's interesting, uh, you know, longtime listeners to our podcast know uh, that there is already a bill pending in the legislature that would do the same thing and repeal um, Costa-Hawkins again to allow broader use of rent control. And and, um, just as clear for our listeners, what Costa-Hawkins did is it prohibited um, cities from implementing rent control on properties that were built uh, after 1990. It would prevent 1995, 1995 prevent rent control on properties that were built ni- after 1995. Um, so this would repeal it and allow rent control to go whenever, right? And so this bill is pending um, and was going to be a big fight um, already in the legislature. And I think in some ways this potential ballot measure, I mean, again, they still have to collect signatures and do lots of things and spend a lot of money before this even would get onto the ballot, let alone an actual campaign. Um, could be a way to kind of leverage the legislature into taking some action on this next year. And this is a tactic that's been, I guess, kind of increasingly employed by interest groups 
not just in housing, but kind of regardless of the issue, right? Yeah, and most recently, probably the biggest biggest one minimum was wage. minimum wage. Exactly. Yeah, yeah there was a bu- couple ballot measures that aimed to increase the minimum wage, and that would have gone on the ballot, and then the lawmakers reached a deal, and those ballot measures went away. Let me ask you this. Just in a vacuum, which do you think is easier to do or more likely to actually happen? This get through the legislature or this actually get approved by voters? I know that it's really tough to say. Yeah, but... I think um, it's more likely to get some some reform or changes in the legislature than to That's get it on the I ballot and pass because we're talking a lot of money through a ballot measure. And also, uh, you know, I think um, it's generally accepted that um, for a lot of policy, particularly complicated policy like this one is, it, it, it kind of, you know, makes sense to have um, a legislative um, solution or legislative discussions about these sorts of things because then you can deal with unforeseen consequences in a lot easier way. And this is not, again, not just related to, to rent control, but a lot of complicated issues, if they're punted to the ballot, um, make it much harder to, to make changes when things that are unforeseen come up. And I think Everyone has an incentive. Um, the lawmakers have an incentive to put their stamp on it, and the and the outside groups have incentive not to spend a million, literally millions of That's dollars right. to, to qualify and then run, and then maybe tens or hundreds of millions, or not hundreds, but tens of millions potentially on a campaign. Um, it's easier for everyone if the lawmakers are the one who make the decision. But certainly, having this measure out there as an initiative um, is some leverage that that the tenant groups have now that they didn't have before. Yeah, and there's more room to kind of craft nuance or compromise, or if you're cynical about it, carve outs in the legislature, obviously, than kind of the, the crude instrument that is a ballot initiative. That's right. Yeah. I am excited for all the models that will come out looking at empirically what the effect of rent control is on a bunch of different things, on rents for non-rent control units, on construction of new units. There's, From what I've seen, the actual literature on rent control is not and Liam is looking at me with a uh, with la- with like with like policy degree <laughs> master's face. Yeah, I'm just this is no, it's your thing, man. This it, is why you got your degree to talk about this stuff. So <laughs> it it'll just like when the LAO actually scores this out, yes. it'll just be super fascinating. I agree. Um, because also it's it's a policy like you had mentioned before that people intuitively understand. That's and right. when you say what's the what can we do to fix housing, right? The first thing a lot of people will say, well, well, let's just do rent control. That's right. And that's also the first example most economists will give you as, this is the worst policy ever. Don't ever do this. <laughs> so we're going to get some real nuanced analysis, I hope. I think we will, particularly— um, It'll be difficult to do, but it'll be interesting. Yeah, and I think I think, I think the robust discussion is not a bad thing to have here. Um, you know, I mean, there, there should be all sorts of uh, options on the table for what we need to do. Um, and to not to exclude rent control from that debate— I think is um, wrong. I mean, we should talk about this. I mean, people are you get forced out of their homes. It's bad, right? There are rent, rent increases across the state. It's that's bad. Now we could talk about the, some of the externalities of that, right? Which I'm sure nice. we will. Uh, thanks, thanks, policy guy, for 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 the props on that. Uh, but like I, these 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 discussions, should, we should be having. We should be talking about yes. all these things. And I think I think both the ballot measure and the conversation that uh, will occur around uh, something member Bloom's bill um, to repeal Costa Hawkins will allow us to have these debates. Yes, and I think. There's an important distinction between the theoretical consequences of rent control and empirically proven consequences of rent control. All right, let's talk about um, your visit to Santa Rosa. There's no easy segue to this. Yeah. Um, let's just start. Is it 
was it as apocalyptic looking as the images we saw on television and online? Yeah, so that's a strong word. So some background, I was sent out um, to do a story on um, housing issues and rebuilding in the wake of the of the of the fires. And um, and uh, so, you know, I was there the second week and, and didn't have to deal with some of the, the issues that that that, that residents did and, and, uh, and my colleagues did in terms of um you know, fire danger and things like that. Um, and so, but when I saw there's one neighborhood uh, that's been pretty uh, highlighted throughout this called Coffee Park in Santa Rosa, that is a was a middle class subdivision, and it was completely destroyed. It looked I, I have never seen anything like it in my life. Um, burnout cars, uh, trees that were blackened with no leaves. Um, like half washing machines and and dryers were left. You know, I talked to a guy who said he had three fireproof safes in his house there, all melted. Um, and just you know, you you'd and you'd see random like random stone statues were still left. I just I've never Did ever you ask ever. You what was in the safes? Uh, <laughs> you had some guns, guns and money, right? Okay. And jewelry, like that's what you put in safes, Makes right? Sense. So, so yeah, man. I mean, I just have never, I've never um, seen anything like that in my life. The devastation was just, uh, just unparalleled, what, just unparalleled. What were some of the more memorable um, conversations that you had with residents? Just how, um, just how much is gone. You know, uh, and and how quickly people had to leave, and it and it's you know, it was a it was a late Sunday night, and you know I talked to one woman who was coming back from a from a concert with her daughter in Oakland, and uh, to her house in Coffee Park, and was noticing the flames, and everything was okay, but it was windy, and then, you know, got back and was getting ready to go to bed, and then an hour later, um, they just got to go, and they had to go within seconds, and carry whatever they could with them and put whatever they could on their on their backs and get in their car and get out um and then it was you know um to kind of segue to our topic here i mean where people are going to go yeah you know and because there's no place to go i mean the the bay area and we can talk about our sort of number right um the number that that we want to highlight that you know um 6700 units were destroyed in uh, the fires all across Northern California um, over the past couple of weeks. And that number is equivalent to roughly uh, half the annual production of the Bay Area. And so, you know, whatever we did the beginning of this year is completely wiped out, you know, um, completely wiped out as if we did nothing. And now you have people who, um, you know, were housing secure thrown into a market mm-hmm. that are ex- is extremely insecure. You know, rental unit, there's vacancy rates in the rental market of like around 1%. Um, you know, home prices are, are now close to 600 grand, I mean, in, in Sonoma County. And so it's just, yeah. uh, I, I mean, there, there's no good answer for people. People are living with, with, with relatives. People are, are moving far, having to move far away. People are, are, you know, I talked to folks who bought RVs with some of the initial insurance money they got. And just, it's, it's, it's um, really harrowing. Both, with to see it visually, and then to understand the kind of impact this has going to have on people's lives. Uh, did you talk to renters at all that were affected, or mostly just homeowners? Uh, just a couple of people that I spoke with are homeowners. I, I'm very curious. 
there there's going to be a disparate impact, obviously, versus homeowner with homeowners versus renters, right? It's oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I did I did speak with an, a uh, one of the largest affordable housing providers in um, in Santa Rosa who told me that already before this uh, they had a fifteen thousand person wait list, yeah. for, which is you know again a lot of places have wait lists, but fifteen thousand people even before the displacement that that has occurred from you know mobile home parks burned down and you know those folks are low, tend to be low income folks and 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 where are they going to go and so um this is all this is all very bad very bad so santa rosa before the fire uh was actually fairly proactive when it came to to new development so they realized they had a housing crisis yeah. just for folks who don't know about much about santa rosa they're the largest city uh about 175,000 people in sort of the north bay area yep. so like napa sonoma this is the largest place it's around and so they you know a year ago they declared a housing state of emergency they're working on things um trying to uh and they did that you know what one a councilwoman um uh, julie combs told me in an interview that, you know, they were finding it was so bad that they just, you know, uh, got this new great brand new train system between Sonoma and Marin counties. Um, and they couldn't find drivers, they couldn't find drivers for the brand new rail system because it was too expensive to, to live there. And people would have to, you would have to travel too far to get to, to get to work. Uh, so that's how bad things were. Um, so we're trying to do things, um, you know, trying to to implement a, a density bonus program where they would incentivize developers to uh, build um, higher, taller, and and uh, more densely in exchange for building some low-income units. Um, set aside, you know, uh, a, a few million dollars to to subsidize low-income development. They tried and ultimately failed to pass a rent control ordinance. Um, and you know, try to uh, you know uh, incentivize the building of uh, uh, ADUs or granny flats mm-hmm. to try to get more housing built on existing single-family properties. And, and I think it's so. This stands in contrast to some of their kind of neighboring towns, right? So like Marin, which isn't too far. That's right. Certainly, Marin has a reputation of being um, pretty anti-housing. Yeah. Um, and so you know, they Santa Rosa in particular uh, were was 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 trying to do things that would in some way address um, yeah. address some of the housing problems that they had. And you know, the councilman told me um, that they saw themselves because they were uh, the largest city and as as the place where they should take growth. You know, um, and and potentially some of the suburbs that that didn't want it. That's okay if um, if they were able to kind of try to funnel it into the into the city. Which which kind of brings us to the the question that local political leaders now face, which is how exactly do we rebuild? Do we rebuild to the same level that we previously had, or do we rebuild in a different way? Yeah, it's a really good question, a really interesting question to watch as this all moves forward. So first of all, though, you know, we have a, they have a um, very lengthy um, cleanup process that they have, that you have to go through. I mean, we're talking, you know, um, uh, debris and like toxic soil, because when things burn, that that stuff's toxic. You know, Um, I was talking with Senator Mike McGuire, who represents the area, who, you know, who was telling me they might have to dig you know, six inches uh, of soil out of all of these residential properties before they're allowed to build again, before it's safe to make sure that the land is not is not going to hurt someone. Um, and so that's that's going to take a long time. I mean, and then after that, um, there's the there's a there's a question. And the question is, 
as you said, are they going to try to rebuild on these properties with uh, more housing units than 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 what they had before? And you could see an argument in or arguments going in both directions. You could see, Multiple yeah, arguments I mean, in both directions. Yeah, you could see, yeah. I mean, we you know we have a housing shortage, and so of course we should try to build more uh, more densely than what we had before to to try to get more units in the properties that were lost. At the same time, I think you could see some arguments that are going to come in one way or another that you know these places were at risk for clearly at risk for devastating wildfires, That's and right. so why. Why should we build on properties that could be wiped out so dramatically and so quickly? Yeah. Um, and, and, and those are those are those arguments are going to really have to be meted out and, and fought out at a time when, you know, there's no place for anyone to go anyway. It's yeah. not like they can have these arguments in the abstract and take their time and to kind of draw these out like we see in a lot of cases about larger developments or any kind of development in California. It takes a long time to get done one way or the other. And those processes take a while. And here, the longer you wait, um, uh, you know, even though there are some restrictions, of course, like the environmental cleanup, the longer you wait, the, the worse off you are because of how behind you already were and how further behind you are now and um, and that it's not getting better anywhere else. Are there lessons that the Bay Area should draw from this um, in the event of an earthquake? So that was one of my thoughts yeah. when I saw this news unfold, especially as um, kind of the discussion of its implications for housing got more attention is – you know, this is this was kind of an unprecedented fire, right? But it destroyed five percent of Santa Rosa's housing stock, right? Yes. And look at the repercussions, right? Yeah. If a major earthquake hits the Bay Area, what happens? I think it just highlights how little margin for, or there's no margin for error, right? Things are already awful. And so adding more awfulness in terms of a natural disaster means that, that you know, that things can exponentially get worse. And so Whereas maybe in the past, you know, we could have weathered these kinds of natural disasters um, easier because we've had would have had the housing stock to uh, to meet the demand. Here we already don't, and yeah. so you know it just gets worse. There's no getting better. It just gets worse. The people you talked to did any of them say I'm gonna leave the Bay Area? Everyone says they want to stay and rebuild. Everyone that I spoke with. Wow. Um, and and that's something that, that, that you know, the mayor echoed um, when we talked to him, and as you'll hear. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a big attachment to that, the same way there's an attachment to sort of any place where you are. Uh, but I think um, there's some where they'll have the financial means to do that uh, and others where that will be much more difficult. Um, okay. Is there anything else on uh, Santa Rosa that oh, and the North Bay fires that you'd like to talk about? I, I think... I think uh, let's let's hear from let's hear our interview. Okay, sounds good. We're here with Santa Rosa Mayor Chris Corsi, who is going to talk to us about um, the housing struggles that uh, the region has had before even this uh, tragedy hit, and now what Santa Rosa's plans are uh, in the aftermath. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here. Thanks. Thank you, Mayor. So can we start, um, we're just sort of curious what, um, what your reaction was and your thoughts were when you realized um, how many homes in Santa Rosa were destroyed. Uh, I'm not sure I can say it on the air, but, um, you know, it, it was obviously a, a huge blow to our city, um, a huge uh, um, emotional wound to the community. Uh, we have more than 40 people in, in this, these fires who have lost their lives. So obviously that's a, that's a loss there, but, but the loss just goes 
deep in so many different ways and causes complications going forward on on so many different levels. What complications are most concerning to you? Well, it revolves around housing primarily. Um, We had a housing problem two weeks ago, and this exacerbated that in the city of Santa Rosa by about 3,000 homes. That's 5% of our housing stock. And so we were short when we started. We're a lot shorter now. And we have this huge job in front of us where one one thing we need are people who are going to do this work uh, in the construction industry. Where are they going to live? Where are those 3,000 families who lost their homes going to live while those homes are going to be replaced? And Again, we we had uh, about 2,000 people who were homeless just in the city of Santa Rosa uh, before the fires. So all of that adds up to a housing shortage in Santa Rosa that is is much bigger than any of the numbers actually will reveal. Have you heard from residents about whether they're planning to rebuild and whether they're going to move back? Is that something the majority of folks say that they're going to do or, or not? I've had no one say to me that they're going to leave. Um, I think that right now there's a lot of resolve in this community. People like living in Santa Rosa. The, the reason that we have a housing shortage is it's a it's a popular place to be. Um, I think that a lot of people are like me. Uh, I came to Santa Rosa when I was 25 years old, and I, I never had intended to live anywhere for a long time, and I never had before that. But I've been here for 37 years. So uh, Santa Rosa has a way of growing on you, and I think that people have strong ties to this community. Have you uh, heard anything about a difference between some some of the implications of this for homeowners and renters? Is there a divide in terms of how people may be able to come back or not? I think that that's a concern for sure. Uh, Our our rental market was very tight, and um, renters... Uh, have seen huge increases in in rent over the past four or five years here. We actually passed a rent control ordinance um, about a year ago. It was um, challenged by the California Apartment Association and uh, some other groups in our community and defeated at the polls in June. So we don't have rent control now. We don't have uh, uh, an ordinance for just cause eviction. And I know that there are a lot of renters who are quite worried about that. That's, I'm curious now, obviously you've been, you know, when I talked to your colleague um, you earlier or last week, she told me that um, this is something that you, you folks had declared an emergency uh, with respect to housing costs over a year ago. And so what were some of the things that even before this, uh, these, these fires, you were looking at when, when deciding how to, how to sort of uh, increase production and increase some protections for folks in the city? Well, we've, we've known for a long time that we need to increase housing production. Um, Santa Rosa is a typical uh, city along the West Coast. I don't think there's a, a city in California that doesn't need to build, build more housing, um, at least in the coastal communities. California has, has a big housing deficit uh, that's been building for about the last 10 years, I think, the, the statistics show. And every community needs to build more housing. Uh, Santa Rosa has has um, acknowledged that. We've uh, put some policies in place that we think are going to make it easier and uh, more advantageous to build housing in Santa Rosa, but we haven't turned the corner yet. 
what what policy levers do you have at your disposal right now to help rebuild? What what are the things that you can do as mayor right now? As mayor, I can't do anything by myself. We are in a, a, a strong city manager, former government. The city council uh, creates policy. We don't uh, direct staff. But uh, tomorrow night, we have our first council meeting since the fire, and we will be creating policy to help um, remove some of the barriers and, and make it easier for people to rebuild. That includes um, uh, an expedited permit process for for building permits uh, for people who've lost their homes, uh, some fee waiver um, uh, allowances for people who lost their homes. We're going to allow people to put second units on their property that could be an RV, it could be a a shipping container converted to a living space. It could be a yurt. Um, so people can live on their property as they're rebuilding their home. And once they're done, if they want that second unit to be to be permanent, that will add some value to their to their property and increase our housing stock with those second units. Interesting. Can you can you explain what a T waiver is? Yeah. A fee waiver? Oh, I, I we 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 thought you said uh, T as in Tom, but so fee, so so, yeah. so paying less. So, okay. So yeah. wa- waiving some of the fees for for construction. We're just trying to ease the way back for this and and make it. Um, we don't want, we don't want the city to be a, a barrier to rebuilding. What what have your conversations with developers been like in the wake of this? Have you had any? Some yes. And, you know, they asked for things like I just talked about, but they were asking for that before also. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's that's what developers do, right? Right, right, right. It was interesting when I talked with um, your colleague, uh, Councilwoman uh, Julie Combs, last week. She mentioned to me that um, the city was going to struggle a little bit with offering too many fee waivers simply because of the of the revenue that was lost as a result of this. And she mentioned the hotel, um, which is obviously, you know, in for California cities in general, a big revenue driver more so than 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 property tax in some ways because of, you're able to keep so much more of that revenue, right? Um, and so so do do you agree with her? Do you, do you think that 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 might be a little bit difficult for the for the budget given um, given sort of the way the tax system in California works? Absolutely. You know, it's it's when I talked about the layers of complication, the the financial complications exacerbate some of the housing questions. We will have a big hit to property tax as all these houses come off the market. Um, we lost two major hotels and uh, about 400,000 square feet of commercial uh, um, businesses. So those sales taxes, those business taxes, those hotel taxes are all gone. Meanwhile, we're trying to build not just housing, but affordable housing. And the the one element of affordable housing that is hardest for us to deal with is is subsidy for it. And right. last year we put almost $3,000 into uh, into subsidy for affordable housing projects in the city. We don't have $3 million to put into that next year. Right. And we, prob- we could probably could use $20 million to put into it. So at the end of the day here, is the goal to go on these properties to build or have more houses built there than what was there originally? Well, we're, we're allowing that with the second units. 
and we were encouraging that beforehand. Yeah. Not not everybody is going to want a second unit on their property, and we can't uh, tell people that they need to build more units on their property just because their house burned down. What we can do is is incentivize. And, you know, for instance, one of the ideas that I've heard, and I haven't talked to, to Kmart and their parent corporation about this, but, but a big Kmart store burned down. It's, uh, you know, a, a big big box store on a even bigger parking lot property. Uh, it would be, in my mind, an ideal place for multifamily housing mm. to, to mm. replace that. But Kmart has a right to build a Kmart there. Right, right. Yeah. So what what are the incentives that we can provide? You know, how can we how can we make um, how can we use incentives and you know subsidy if we can find subsidies to encourage people to build what this city needs? What sort of help do you need, uh, both financially and regulatory, from the state? Well, um, we're very supportive of uh, the housing package that. The state legislature just passed in the last couple of months. Um, we would like to uh, receive some of that money, and we hope that the voters will approve uh, the bonds. But uh, we'll take anything we can get from anyone and anywhere. What sort of message do you want um, people who lost their homes in Santa Rosa to know right now? Well, I've, I've said it many times over the last couple of weeks, and that is, we want you to stay here in Santa Rosa. This community needs its community members. Uh, The people who lost their homes are the people who make this community as great as it is and as attractive as it is to the other people who live here. We cannot afford to lose 5% of our population. We can't afford to lose any percent of our population. We want people to stay here. We're going to try and figure out ways to make that as as easy as possible. It's not going to be easy, but we'll make it less hard in any way that we can. Um, okay, thank you so much, Mayor. We know you're hard-pressed for time. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Okay, Matt and Liam, thank you. We have another guest on the podcast this week. This is John Phil, who is a resident of uh, Santa Rosa, whose um, business and home uh, were destroyed in the fire. And we're hoping to get some perspective from him about um, about what happened and what he's going to do next. And so, John, thank you so much for being with us. No problem. So I think it makes sense to start. Um, tell us what, you know, tell me what happened um, that night. Yeah, so that night couldn't sleep too much because I kept smelling the smoke and it wake me up. Yeah. And and then about one o'clock or so, somewhere around there, one, one thirty, I got a call on my phone and it was a different kind of a ring. It's like a and I'm like, What the heck? Who's calling me now? And it was an emergency evacuation in your area is what it said when I answered it. Yeah. And so I got up, I told my wife I'm going to the shop. I got to see what's going on because I have four cats in my shop, you know, and I'm, I wanted yeah. to get them out of there. And so I got out. I, I went down, uh, you know, we're, our shop is like three miles away from our house. So I went down, you know, Barnes Road and and uh, went out and I could only get to Old Redwood Highway there. And I was at the coffee shop on the corner 
and just staring and the, there was cars on fire in the intersection Wow. Um, and the, the whole, the, the hillside would just, in, everywhere you looked, there was fire all over the place. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, I stayed there for a while, talked to a few of the neighbors, and they said, yeah, it didn't look too good for the shop, you know, because the fire was right there. And I have, you know, we just we just purchased that property. I made my first payment October 1st. <clears throat> and uh, we had tenants in the, there's two little homes there on the property and we had tenants in there as well. So I was really worried about them getting out. And then it really started getting really windy. I mean, the, cause there was fire all over the fire trucks were going everywhere. It's almost like they didn't even know where they're supposed to be. They were just packed going, going wherever they could think to go. Yeah. And uh, just chaos really. And it got really windy and the embers were just blowing past me real hot wind. I'm like, oh, I better go home. <clears throat> you know, it's not too safe around here. And I was going back home on the Barnes road there towards my home in coffee park. <clears throat> and, uh, excuse me. <clears throat> and then I got another emergency call and it was to evacuate coffee park. And yeah. it was immediate emergency mandatory evacuation, just a big nine one one thing. And so I get back home and uh, went and ran inside the house. And I told my wife, get packed up. We have to go right now. And she goes, okay, let me get pictures. Let me get the, I go, no, we don't have time for pictures and stuff. We have to go get dressed and load up. We have to go right now. Yeah. And we were both like run around there. We're, and we got, uh, I was not able to get the cats out of my body shop. <clears throat> so I didn't even know they made it or not. I still don't know. Um, and the tenants in your in your property uh, with the they got the- out. I, I was oh, able great. to get a hold of them. I'm pretty thankful for that. <clears throat> wow. Um, so have yeah. you been able to in the interim to go back and sort of see? Um, yeah. Yeah. So property and your and your business. Yeah. So yeah. So getting out of there that day that morning, we we were. I just wanted to go south of the fire, you know. So we just went through the neighborhoods and all the little back roads. We ended up down in Petaluma. <laughs> at my daughter's house and then we came back up to santa rosa about nine o'clock or ten o'clock in the morning yeah and we were able to get into our coffee park neighborhood um even though it's barricaded off we just kind of went around them and that was when we saw the devastation in our house right there and just it just uh it it looked like a bomb went off looked like hiroshima yeah to be honest with you and then from then on out we were not able to get back up there to the house and what is today? It's uh, today's Tuesday. Mm-hmm. I think it was either Sunday or Monday. They finally let us go um, up into Marquez Springs Road, but only up to Ridley Road we could go. But uh, that's when we got to see our shop after yeah. all this time. You know, they, we just couldn't get up in there because there's power lines and sure. You know, they're recovering people, you know, bodies and stuff. I guess, from what I understand. Yeah. Uh, and so we got to our shop, and it was just devastating. Yeah, yeah. Even uh, hard so, to talk about now, actually. It yeah. Was, it was hard to even drive up in there because I knew that it was just going to be annihilated. So are you are you <clears> staying <throat> with your daughter now? You mentioned you went there after. Now we're at a, a RV uh, camp site. Huh. We got our we got ourselves a RV trailer to live in because it's all we have really. I mean, we don't we don't have a house no more, so. So did we you buy? The, did you yeah. buy the trailer? Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 
I wanted so, to buy it before anybody else had the same idea. Right. right. So, um, you know, we talked a lot about uh, earlier in the show about how the housing market in the in the area was um, already really uh, tight and hard. Um, and yeah. you as a yeah. homeowner uh, was, you know, kind of insulated from that for from the from the most part. But now you're kind of thrust into that into that sort of situation. What is that? What's that like? Uh, Matt, well, so like for rentals and stuff like that, there was they were having a shortage of rentals in this area right. for a long time. And now we kind of need a rental, you know, and, and I'm like, well, all the rentals, a lot of rentals that were available were in coffee park area and those rentals are now gone. Yeah. So, so people that I know of that have been displaced and lost their homes and everything, they're, they're love. One of my, one of my uh, clients and friends there, they had to go all the way down to Corte Madera to get a house mm-hmm. because there's nothing in the area. Yeah, and how far uh, is that? So, for people who don't know, how far away is that? Puerto Madera is about a uh, It's about an hour, about an hour drive, a little more than an hour on a good day south mm-hmm. of Santa Rosa. Right, right. So, what are what are you gonna? What's your plan? What are you gonna do now for living? Um, we're gonna we're gonna stay living in the travel trailer for now, and then rebuild. We'll probably move that up onto our property out there on Marquest Springs Road. Mm-hmm. while we're rebuilding and live there and uh, kind of try and put everything back together again. Unless you could find some rental housing, you're going to live in the RV. Um, I, I think until, we're going to just yeah. stay living in the RV because yeah. there's no rental housing around here. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, there wasn't, there wasn't any before and the stuff that might've been there is now burned down. So right. a lot of people are having to move outside of town, out, outside of the city, yeah. really to find somewhere. And we just figured, Hey, if we, if we buy this RV, we can at least stay close by. We can park it up on the property when we're ready. Yeah. And kind of, that you know, because, I mean, what's the point of we've got property. Might as well live on it if we can, right? Sure. Yeah. So, so how, but, how long do you think that's going to be for you? It's probably going to be, I don't know, probably at least a couple of years, I'd imagine. Wow. I wow. mean, the cleanup is just, uh, it's it's overwhelming. I mean, we went out and bought shovels and rakes and stuff. And we thought we were going to sift through things and pick everything out. And uh, we did a little bit of that at our, where our house is. Yeah. And it's just daunting. I mean, you, it's like you find a few things. <laughs> One of the weirdest things my wife found was a, a complete intact roll of toilet paper of all things in a fire. <laughs> <laughs> so there are things that didn't get ruined, you know, but yeah, Long, how long do you want to do all that? How long do you want to search through everything? And what kind of insurance situation did you have on the on the business and on your house? So, so we had pretty good insurance. We had farmers, uh-huh. and my my agent has stepped up and he's been helping us. And and um, when we first made our claims and stuff, that's how we got the RV because we're they gave us kind of a down payment on all of our belongings, basically. Yeah. That we had based on just what I told them. Right. And we just decided, well, you know what? Let's just use that and and get ourselves the RV because we have nowhere else to go. Yeah. And yeah. and um, I, we just kind of thought it just kind of made sense to us, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so uh, what, insurance yeah. is pretty good. We're our our two little uh, so on the shop property which we just bought. I mean, we just made our first payment. I think I told you in October first. Yeah. Yeah. And. And um, it, there was two little houses on that hill, and we had not; those were not insured yet. We were working on on getting those insured, 
and they weren't quite insured yet. So those are going to be a loss. Wow. We don't know what to do about that. Yeah. So what what do you think Santa Rosa is going to be like in the future? Is it going to be like how it was or how, how do you think it's going to change? Um, you know, so, so um, we plan on rebuilding and a lot of our neighbors plan on rebuilding. I don't know if everyone is, but I mean, so what they're trying to do is expedite the rebuild um, of Coffee Park area at least. Right. And so basically to do that, you got to build your house as it was original plans, which we kind of wanted to add on a little bit, but we can do that later. Yeah. Right now it's a matter of, hey, get this thing cleaned up and get that house built. And then we'll probably do is we'll probably end up um, at some point when we get everything kind of built up on the Mark West Springs property, we'll yeah. probably rent our house out in, in Coffee Park. Mm-hmm. It'll be a new house. You know, um, That's kind of our plan. John, is there anything else you want us to know or you want our, our listeners to know about about what's happened and, 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 and the rebuilding effort going forward? You know, if you can if you can donate, if people can donate, help them out, go to the GoFundMe pages or whatever, anything they can do to, to help out and really does help out a lot for anybody that's gone through all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, did, we got a we got a GoFundMe page. My sister set it up for us and it's really helped out because right in the middle of it all, my truck needed brakes on the front, so that and I usually do it myself, mm-hmm. but I had no place to do it, <laughs> so sure. I had to have it, and it was almost a thousand dollars. Yeah, and we're like, man, good thing we had that because we were able to use the money from that to put the brakes up. Well, John, Phil, thank you so much for taking your taking time to talk to us, and we hope yeah. the best for you and your family and your business, and yeah. and hope that you get everything gets as close to normal as it can as soon as it can. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. I, um, man, it's been, it's been quite a ride.